What's up, everybody? I hope you're doing well, that you had a spectacular week. I'm just grateful for you that you'd carve out some time during your day to listen to this message. As always, I pray that it will be um, encouraging for you and challenge you in some way and that you'd be able to practically apply God's Word to your everyday life. Okay, so since um, you're probably familiar, we're continuing in our conversation that we're calling Firm Foundations. This conversation is rooted in the church epistles found in the New Testament. We begin with Colossians, and, and now we're we're working our way through the letter to the Galatians. And it's my conviction that in order for me to become the person that God has created me to be, and I would say this is true for you too, that we must have solid foundations of faith to stand on. And my faith in yours has to be so much more than, than just a belief in Jesus or a conviction in who Jesus is. We actually have to move past that and begin to adopt new rhythms and habits into our lives. So we've identified those things as as spiritual rhythms, um, and we call them prayer, worship, stillness, fasting, and the reading of scripture. And so our goal is to dive deeper into our faith in Jesus together and lock arms together and see our faith as an adventure to live on, all the while becoming spiritually mature followers of Jesus. And this is this is really what Paul is all about. This is what we're seeing in his letter to the Galatians. This is what he wants us to take away from his writings that he is writing to a specific church in a specific time to a specific culture, but Paul has something to say to us right here and right now. And I think what he has to say is is worth listening to, and I think it's worth adopting into our everyday lives as we seek to become people that look and act like Jesus. And so we're in Galatians chapter 4 this week, and so you can open up your Bible if you're hanging out, sitting still, or whatever it is that you're doing. We'll be picking up in verse 8, and we'll be reading through verse 31. So here we go. Verse 8. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You're observing special days, months, seasons, and years, and I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn your eyes and given me, given them to me. So then, I have become your enemy because I told you the truth. The court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good for, for me to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I'm with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one of the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively. For the woman represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shut you who are not in labor from the children of a desolate woman will be many. 
more numerous than those of the world who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born of a result of the spirit, so also now, but those, does that not what scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Okay, I'm titling this message, The Gospel of Repentance. Why? Well, it's a very simple answer, I think. Um, and my answer is this. The gospel, when preached properly, leads our hearts to a place of repentance. The word repent um, in Greek means to change your mind and to turn and walk the other way. It's a literal translation. To change your mind on something and to turn and walk the other way. Which is no easy task. Um, it's not in our human nature to admit our faults, not only to ourselves, but to God and to each other. But for Paul, repentance coincides with the gospel. Meaning this, that in order to receive the gospel, which is different than hearing it, one must change their mind and everything about it and literally stand in a new lane and walk in the other direction. And this is what I think Jesus meant when he said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus is talking about a life of repentance. Following Jesus means unfollowing myself. And, and that's not an easy transition to make, right? My natural instinct is to follow myself, is to follow my own um, wisdom, is to follow my own discernment. It's to do what I think is right for myself. But Jesus makes it very clear and Paul goes on to echo the words of Jesus that in order to have a spiritually alive, mature relationship with Jesus, we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him, and not myself. So for those of you who don't know me very well, um, you should know that I recently picked up a little side hustle job at Trader Joe's, which by the way, I love and I'm so grateful for. Um, and in some surprising ways for me, it's actually been really good for my soul and my faith there. Um, I've sensed um, me coming alive a little bit and getting to talk about Jesus to people that don't know him, but it's but it's also a place that, that provides me a source of entertainment, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I really love to people watch. I know that sounds kind of creepy, by the way, but I don't mean it in that way. I just think I have a heart of a sociologist and I find people really fascinating. I like to observe people. Normally, when we go to Disneyland, we used to have passes. We don't have any more. But if, for those of you that have been to Disneyland, you know it's one of the greatest places to people watch. Um, and, and this is... I know, interesting, but there's so many groups of different people, and it's just a fascinating thing. And this is really, besides the point, it's probably one of the only reasons that Jesse can talk me into getting a Disneyland pass is because the people there. I really have a fascination with observing people. But but since Disneyland's no longer a place the Rigdons can go, Trader Joe's is now my place to people watch. It's where I spend most of my time. So many different kinds of people come in and come out. I don't know if you've been to my Trader Joe's, probably see me there, you just know it's a wide variety and a diverse amount of people. And so just this past week, here's a story for you. I'm helping pack some bags up at the checkout line and, and the store is absolutely full. Lines are, are going halfway to the back of the store and this, this one lady, I can hear her behind me and she really filled up like an entire um, hand basket with all sorts of groceries. And I heard one of my coworkers say, "Ma'am, would would you like a bag, or would you like us to put the stuff in the cart for you?" Um, and and she insisted on not needing any bags or a cart. In fact, I think I heard her say something like this: "I carried it up here, and I'm going to carry it all the way to my car." So there was this this I'm going to make this happen. Just leave me alone. And so she starts to just fill up her hands 
as after she pays, and I kid you not, she turns towards the door, and in one hand, she has a full gallon of milk. And before she even takes two steps, she drops the entire gallon of milk, and it literally just explodes. Explodes all over the place. It, it hit other customers standing in line. It soaked some employees, and it's dripping from the roof. It's all over the cash registers. I'm telling you the truth here. It looked like a crime scene from Milk House, right? It, it was a disaster. Now, what do you think this lady did? Do you think she stayed and helped clean up all the spilled milk all over the place? Do you think she went back to the milk box and got another another milk? That would probably be, make sense. Do you think she just stood there and watched in embarrassment as a hundred people stared at her thinking to themselves, you should have just said yes to the bags? And I'm going to tell you right now, she actually did none of those things. Here's what she did. She just ran right out the door without even looking back. She didn't get a new milk. She didn't help to clean up. She didn't do it. She just completely bolted towards her car, not even looking back. And, and here's what I think. Her instinct was just to run away from her mess. She didn't want to own it. She was probably really embarrassed. She didn't want to help clean it up. She just needed to get away from the mess that she created. And what's my point here? Well, it's two things. Number one, next time you're at the store and you don't think you need grocery bags, just, just get a bag. No one will think less of you, I promise. But number two, and the more important point I want to make, it's much easier to run away from the mess that we've created than to turn around and actually deal with it head on. When I talk about a mess, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm talking about sin. The mess is sin. We all have messes in our lives, right? We're all really good at making messes. Some of us are better at making messes than others, but, but very few people are actually good at owning up to the mess and acknowledging that there's something inside of them that needs to be corrected. And, and what I see here in chapter 4 is Paul, he's concerned with the Galatians and their ability to ignore the messes in their lives. In their case, it was going back to their old way of living. And so before they were saved, much of the Galatians gave their lives and allegiance to idols which are gods. Paul makes it very clear. Idols are gods. And an idol is really anything that you worship. And worship is relinquishing your soul to something bigger than yourself. Worship is giving your soul permission to express allegiance to someone or something, right? Be it Jesus, be it whatever it is. And this is why you can worship celebrities. This is why you can worship money, fame, power, sex, sports, even a spouse or your children. There's so many things that we can worship because Worship is just giving your soul permission to express allegiance to someone or something. And so what, what we worship is really an indictment on our idols. What we worship exposes our idols. And we can identify idols by simply paying attention to what we give our souls over to. And so Paul sees the church in Galatia worshiping things that they once turned away from in order to follow Jesus holy. So he calls them weak. He calls these things worthless elements that over-promise and under-deliver. And this is really what idols are, aren't they? They look good. They smell good. They feel good. They taste good. They're powerful enough to stimulate all of our senses, but they disappoint us every single time. And I know this because we keep going back to them, right? If we really did, if our idols really did bring fulfillment and wholeness to our souls, then we wouldn't need to pursue them over and over and over again. Are you tracking with me? So I just have one thought 
that I want to press into for this week. Yes, there's so much more said here in chapter 4, and I don't have time to go over everything. There's many different avenues, but there's one thing on my heart that I really want to press into here. Um, uh, and it's really all about Paul's concern for Jesus followers everywhere. Yes, he's writing to this church, but but this letter is written to Jesus followers everywhere when he specifically calls out idolatry within the church. And this is a thought that I've been thinking through. This is a thought that really has put me in a place that for me to ask some serious questions about the idols in my own life. And so I'm doing some heart work right now. I'm experiencing things and God's exposing idols in my life that I didn't even know were there. And this is what Paul's concern is. It's not just idolatry outside of the church. It's idolatry within the church. So here's here's my one thought that I want to break up and just spend a few minutes talking about. And hopefully um, we'll be able to arrive at the same place that Paul wants us to get. And it's acknowledging that there's only one true God. That, that, that the gospel message, when preached effectively, leads us to Jesus. And that's what Paul's intention here is, just to, to walk to Jesus. But here's my thought. I'll unpack this for, the, for a few minutes together. It's this. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I have idols and that I know what my idols are. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I have idols, that's the first part, and that I know what my idols are. This is so important, and I don't want us to just brush over this. Um, I want us to break this thought up a little bit and unpack it. And so, gospel repentance, as I've already mentioned, it means to turn around and walk in the other direction. It is a change of mindset, which is such a broad statement, I get it, um, but it has a very direct meaning, and it flushes itself out in so many different ways in and through our lives. So, we talk about gospel repentance, it means... That how you naturally look at the world and yourself changes, right? So before Jesus, you saw the world through a very specific lens. You viewed people through a very specific way. And, and when you start following Jesus, your natural way of looking at the world, yourself and other people, it changes, right? You literally take on the eyes of Jesus. And what this means is that you're no longer motivated by money, by power, by status, it, 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 it means that uh, you now love the very people that you once hated, or maybe that hated you. It means that you live your life serving the poor and putting other people before yourself. It means that you're no longer in a prideful state, but, but you now clothe yourself with humility. And these are just a few examples um, of what gospel repentance means. There's many, many more implications to repentance. And this is why a change of mind is a lifelong journey, because it's something that we have to just set out on that needs to be renewed in us each and every day. Repentance, and this is, I think, what Paul would want to say to us, repentance is not just a one-time deal. It's needed and it's appropriate for every single day. And I think this is why John the Baptist centered his entire ministry around repentance. Remember what his message was. Before, before Jesus... God started in ministry. John the Baptist was the guy. And his message to prepare the way for Jesus was what? Repent and be baptized. John wanted people to see that repentance and spiritual maturity are mutually inclusive. If you want a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, you must repent every single morning and acknowledge 
your wayward heart and your wayward mind to Jesus and allow his saving grace to wash over you each and every day. This is fundamental to a growing, spiritually mature relationship with Jesus. Repentance. So that's important. Let's continue on with my thought. Repentance, I'm going to say it again, is an acknowledgement that I have idols and that I know what my idols are. And I want to focus on the three words here. I have idols. I have idols. You have idols. We all have idols, right? It's in our nature to make idols. We see this all the way back with the Israelites. Even when God was blessing them in the desert, they go ahead and and they make a giant golden calf. Why? Because God wasn't enough for them. That's what the story is about. This is what idolatry is all about. It's our way of telling God that he isn't enough. That we need more in order to feel valued, to feel worthy, and feel loved. And as you can probably imagine, this human nature, this idea of how easy and quick we are to make idols actually breaks the heart of God. So much so that he went and told Moses to to make idolatry number one on the list of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. So God isn't trying to be a buzzkill with us. He's not trying to ruin our fun. God is just trying to protect our hearts. And he's trying to protect our minds from a constant cycle of disappointment and unfulfillment um, and trying to feed our lives with lies. And so Paul presses into this thought of idolatry pretty deep here. And he actually proposes that idolatry actually places us under the law. In other words, idolatry holds our souls captive. So if we're not going to worship anything else other than God, then we must know that we're choosing a religion over a relationship. And that's what idolatry is. It's choosing a religion, a law. It's choosing a practice over a relationship. So according to Paul, idolatry is a worldly religion that comes from the Bible. So anyone who has any kind of idol is practicing a form of religion, and that excludes the gospel message. So this is why Paul is so frustrated with the church. Because they are the people of God. If there's anyone that's supposed to worship God and bring him glory, it's the people of God. It's the bride of Christ. It's the followers of Jesus. And what Paul is seeing is that they're doing everything but that. They're actually idol worshipers. And they're walking away from the gospel and choosing religion. And they don't even know it. And that's that's why Paul is going at them pretty hard. It's not that they're purposefully walking away from the gospel. It's that culture, that worldly religion is influencing them greater and more impacting them than the gospel message. And so here's my plea to you. Don't make the same mistake as the Galatians. Know that you have idols in your life. The best thing you can do is say these three words to yourself. I have idols. Because you do. And the worst thing that we can do for our souls and for our relationship with Jesus is to either pretend or ignore them and not even think that we have them, but it's to pay attention to them because it's then that you can allow the gospel of repentance to take you over and identify your idols and then confess them, which leads me to the last part of my thought. Here's my thought again. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I have idols 
and that I know my idols. I know my idols. Say it with me. I know my idols. But do you really? Are, are you really aware that your idols, or as Paul puts it, gods, lowercase g, are probably things that you have come to love. They're things that you enjoy. They might be even things that you position your entire life around. In, in, in order for the gospel of repentance to work its way into your heart and mind, you must be able to put the pen to paper and write down what your idols are. And, and, am I intentionally saying that that idols... Um, uh, I'm, I'm using that word in plural sense because I, I really believe we have multiple idols. We don't just have one idol. There's so many idols in our lives that we've just got so used to. And by the way, I think it's worth noting this. Idols don't have to be bad things. They don't need to necessarily be things that you have to get rid of and flush your life out. They might be, but but they might not be. Like, for example, my kids can be my idols. Like, am I supposed to get rid of my kids? Absolutely not. Are there days that I wish to get rid of my kids? Maybe. That's for another day. But my kids can become an idol when I put them in front of my relationship with Jesus and begin to care about what my kids think of me more than what God thinks of me and, and, and the way I spend my entire life kind of trying to secure a future for them. And, and I, I, I neglect my own soul and I neglect my own relationship and I'm just paying no attention to the work God is doing in their own lives. And, 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 and I'm releasing my kids into the care of God the Father. That's that shift that can happen. But if I'm more focused on my kids and what life is like for them and neglecting the work that God's doing in their own life and what God's doing in my own life, my kids can easily become idols. So idols or gods, they don't have to be bad things. They can actually be a blessing from God. But it's possible to elevate the blessings God has given us into a God. And, and this is why money, sex, power, relationships, and even your career, right? Things God gave you, things God made, can cross over into idol worship. The blessing from God turns into a God. That's the danger of idolatry. It's such a narrow and it's such a tight line for us to walk down. And in our culture, here in Orange County, I just see this everywhere. And again, even in my own life, my calling to be a pastor, it's, it's who God created me to be. The giftings that he's given me can become an idol in my own life if I'm not careful. And I say that because there have been times when that was true. I found my value, my worth, my identity, and meaning in being a pastor and getting the affirmations from people. And in other words, I can care more about what people think of me than what God thinks of me. And that, my friends is idolatry. And so out of all the good things Paul is saying here in chapter 4, I just feel that his words to speak out really against idol worship over 2,000 years ago to a church in Northern Asia Minor is just as relevant to us right here and right now. And so I just, I just want to send you off to do some soul searching. Um, I want to send you off to just search your hearts a little bit are you able to acknowledge that you are an idol worshiper? If so, what are your idols? What are they? I, I would encourage you to just write them down. And after doing some soul searching and reflecting on how your idols have become a barrier to your relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to repent. 
This is what Paul wants to say to the church today. Be quick to repent. Change your mind. Give God the place of honor in your heart and mind that he deserves. And then allow him to cleanse your heart, your mind, and hands of idol worship and receive his grace and mercy. God loves you so much. God is for you. He is with you. And I just love what Paul says in verse 9. He says, you are known by God. Let that truth sink in for a second. You are known by God. And let that truth undo every instinct you have for idol worship. See God for who he is. He is your eternal father. He's the creator of the world. He's your savior. He's your friend. Nothing can compare to the love of God. So, Father, we come before you with a repentant heart. We acknowledge the idols that we have in our lives and that we've given our souls over to other things other than you. So, Lord, if it weren't for the gospel, this would be incredibly bad news for us. So, I thank you for your gospel message. I thank you that in your kindness, you have saved our souls from death. No longer do our idols keep us separated from you. You deal with our idols head on. And so, Lord, my prayer over us is that you would expose the idols in our lives, the good and the bad, and help us see you for who you are. Help us to see that there are no idols worthy of our worship other than you. I'm thankful that we can be honest with you, Lord. I'm thankful that you love us unconditionally, even when we make messes in our own lives. We don't want to be people who run away from our messes. We want to be people who deal with it head on, knowing that you are making us clean and you're making us new every single day. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.